This is the Improved Photography Podcast, episode number 198. everybody and welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast, your weekly dose of photography knowledge. I'm your host, Jim Harmer, and today I am joined by Nick Page and Connor Hibbs. Hey guys. How's it going? Hey. Well, we got tons of talk to talk about today. We're going into a little bit of a new format for the show. Uh, we're doing six topics and one new skill that you can learn in 12 minutes. Uh, we want to keep the show moving a little bit quicker uh, on the pace and in and increase a little bit more the interaction between uh, the hosts. And uh, I, I hope you'll enjoy the the slightly different format. So the, the first thing we want to talk about today is social media for photographers. Nick, I've noticed online you've been super yes. frustrated with this. What's yes. happened? So I don't know if anybody else has noticed this, uh, but for quite a while, my, my photography page has reached like a fraction of what my personal page reaches, even though I now have, I don't know, 2,500 more followers on my per- on my photography photography page guaranteed reach double, if not triple the amount on my personal page. But I have seen a dramatic fall off on the reach of both pages. A photo that, you know, there for a while back in the glory days, back like 10 months ago or whatever, I, it wasn't uncommon for a photo to reach a thousand likes or thereabouts. And now pretty consistently, my photos are reaching like 80, 90, like probably a fifth or a tenth of what they used to reach. And I don't know if it's just that my photos are not as good or if, you know, people are just not just sick to death of Nick page filling up their timelines or if it's just not showing up on their timelines. Have you guys experienced that? You're just not a very good photographer. That's the problem. (laughs) That's how I'm feeling, man. That's how it, that's how it feels when like you post a photo and you spend all this time crafting it and then you get like a comment. And like a few likes, it's just like so deflating, especially after having a couple of shots go viral. And they're never <laughs> the shots that you really like that go viral. It's like the eh, ones that go viral. And then the ones that you really care about, they reach 60 people or something. And it's just so deflating. Have you guys experienced any of that or is it just me? Oh, I, yeah, very yeah. much so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, the improved photography page has, I was just going to check, it's close to eight to 700,000 people on it. Um, and it used to be that posts without any media, just text did really well, that they didn't want to be interrupted with, you know, photos and videos. They just wanted a nice update. Uh, this was a few years ago. Um, and then it was like, no, if you don't have a photo, we just are barely even going to show your post. Um, and then, and so photos would go crazy on there. Um, and today I just posted a, posted a photo. I got 250 likes. Like that's, I mean, that's great. But when we have 670,000 followers on there, uh, it's just, it's just going out to a tiny sliver, uh, of, of what I have built. Like I sent these people, um, to the page. I built up the brand of improved photography, and, you know, we've created a community. It used to be that people used to, you know, be able to post on there and it was like a discussion forum. And then right. they went to this timeline format and you can't even see the user's posts in there. Uh, so I am I'm totally with you. Incredibly frustrated uh, with with the moves Facebook is is making extremely anti small business. Um, and and it's got me thinking what we need to do with the with the Facebook group for the podcast. Uh, I, I'm. I'm always thinking maybe we got to just get rid of that and move this discussion on to improvephotography.com or on improve photography plus because it's only a matter of time before they'll stop showing our posts and then we can't communicate with each other. 
Right. I think that is kind of the moral of this particular story is that anytime you're relying on somebody else to reach your audience, that's never, that's such a vulnerable place to be. You know, we are totally relying on Facebook to, you know, not change their algorithms. So we get to continue to have fans. That's not ideal. Ideally you send them to your own website or to, you know, a place where you're in control of what photos they see and what photos they don't see. And I think for the average photographer, you know, it's hard to get, you know, hundreds of people to go to your website every day, hundreds of different people to go to your your uh, website each day. The question then becomes like, okay, so if Facebook is going to continue to clamp down on our reach, what's next? What do we do? Cause we, we can't just like, well, you know, stop sharing our photos online. So uh, do we go over to Instagram? Is Instagram the future of uh, sharing our photos? What do you think, Connor? No way. Um, <laughs> Eric and I actually just talked about this. The problem is that Instagram is owned by Facebook. So I don't know if it's popped up on your Instagram yet, but now my Instagram, every time I log in, asks me if I'm a business. And the thing is, if I were to say yes to that, I know that they're just going to be Yep. Just a little bit further out until they're like, oh, you know what? Let us kind of help promote you and boost your post a little bit more. And then eventually it's just going to be the same thing where they they tricked me with that, Connor. Oh, Oh, really? Tricked me. They tricked me. (laughs) I I have seen that on there and I did the same thing as you. I said, oh, no, I'm not going to click that button. And then I logged on this week and it said, answer a couple of questions to update your profile. And I said, okay. And as soon as it was over, boom, I was a business. I never clicked the button. I never Ah. said I was a business. It just said, update your profile. And bang, they made the change on me. What Um, a dirty little trick. It's it's terrible. And I know what's going to happen. They're going to let it ride for eight months, a year, and not change anything. And then slowly but surely, they're going to say, would you like to reach the followers that you brought onto onto Instagram? That'll be three thousand right, dollars. Exactly. That's crazy. And, so I, I, I guess a couple. Made of, a, I was going to say Connor made a great point on on portrait session this week about most photographers, most businesses would be more than happy to pay for reaching new followers, followers that have not already taken the time to go to your page and choose to follow your posts. It's not fair for them to charge you money to reach people that have already elected to follow you. If we were reaching new people, we would all, we would all go for that. You know, that would be worth the money rather than just like charging you money to follow, to like, you know, follow the people that already follow you or to have them be able to see your photos. And I understand why they're doing that on business pages and photography pages, because they want to make a buck. They want to monetize this huge empire that they've built because, you know, just the, just the paid boosted posts probably equates to billions of dollars for them because it's such a huge service. But, you know, I've also seen a drop off on my personal pages as well. Uh, just on my personal page, I'm reaching such a uh, such a fraction of what I used to. I don't know if this is a temporary thing where they're just, you know, experimenting with a different algorithm and it's going to change again. I, I just don't know what to do. Uh, 500px is really popular for some photographers, but it's also really hard to break in as kind of a newer follower without that big, uh, big, uh, you know, following on there. There's, you know, people that have like, you know, tens of thousands, fifties 
and a hundred thousand followers on there. And every photo they post gets, you know, 99.8, 99.9. I can post the most amazing photo that is better than some of those other ones. And it, it's, you know, very seldom getting into the mid nineties, you know, with their little rating just because I don't have a following and I can't really grow my following because it doesn't ever get seen by anybody. So I just don't know what the future is. Like, are we just all going to stick with Facebook? Is that the deal? What are you guys going to do? Well, I, 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 for me, the answer is to just keep, keep moving on and trying new platforms. And when a new platform does pop up, you know, trying to push some of your audience over there uh, for a while, it is good, but there's no, there's no promised land here. Uh, you know, if we push people to an email list, well, email is in big trouble uh, as Gmail is, you know, putting these promotions tabs and things, then you send out an email letter and bang, you go to the promotions tab. You still yeah. can't contact your audience. You create a blog. Well, Google changes their algorithm and bang millions of people have lost their livelihoods from that you lose them there. Uh, there there's no safe place even on your own blog even on a newsletter uh, there, there's no one way that you can guarantee you're always going to be able to uh, to contact your audience and so you know it's just how things change online uh, it's you know the internet's still brand new and so we have to just keep moving keep trying different things and you know sometimes things get really low it's 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 hard to to cultivate a following and not just cultivating a, f- a following for those that want to build a business it's hard for just individual photographers who just want some feedback on their work mm-hmm. uh, so there's no one safe place i think we just have to keep moving and adapting I have a great idea that you just clarified for me. Let's all just go back to snail mail. Good idea. <laughs> we, should, we should. We'll just send photos to people. Yeah, at least at least everyone will actually get the photos. Yeah. They'll probably take a look actually. at it for a second before they throw it in the trash. Yeah. Actually, that'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. All but right. then you have well, postage stamps. Well, Connor, you wanted to talk today about branching out uh, and doing different types of photography than you normally do. You are fresh off your honeymoon and you've been doing quite a bit of that. So tell us about it. Yeah, so obviously I recently got married and I went on a honeymoon to Maui. Oh, thanks so much. I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Um but yeah, while while I was there in Maui, um it was really easy to do landscape photography because I could kind of cross the street and be somewhere beautiful for sunset. And I kind of developed a new love for landscape photography, which is something I have never really had an interest in. Um so it it's something that I'm now debating. Maybe I should be doing landscape or should I find something else? Because really it's kind of revived this love of photography in a way that I, not that I've been disheartened from it, if that's a real word. Um, <laughs> but you know, eventually when you're just doing work for other people, it becomes kind of boring and not so exciting and doing something that was just fun for the sake of fun with photography was a really great thing. Um, so I've, I just kind of wanted to ask, have you guys ever done anything like this? Like tried any kind of new photography that you don't normally do as a way to kind of get out of a rut? Uh, Well, for me, like I've talked about it quite a bit. I do so many different types of photography that I never really solidly get in that rut because, you know, when I get, you know, tired of bridezillas, I go do some landscape photography. When I start feeling like I'm a terrible landscape photographer and I just can't do anything new and original, I go do some sports. And then you're just kind of a fly on the wall, just reacting to what's happening around you. 
And then when I get hungry, I go back and I shoot more weddings. So <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of how it works for me. I shoot enough different genres that I don't really fully get in that creative rut, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I don't know that I ever uh, it's been a while since I've shot something completely new, though. What about you, Jim? Yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of the same as you, Nick. I've I've uh, done so many different types of photography since the beginning, just because it kind of all was interesting to me um, that it's it's definitely helped to do that. But I, I think I'm in that spot right now, Connor. Uh, that that you were in just a couple weeks ago where I like it feels like uh, I'm kind of doing the same things when I go out and shoot landscapes it's like all right wait for good weather as soon as there's interesting light put something in the foreground make a shape out of the background and click you know it's like yeah. it just it kind of just becomes like you know I I, I mean it, it is a creative exercise but it's so rote that you could kind of do it in your sleep because uh, you just develop this recipe for making uh, a landscape photo or you develop this recipe for how you interact with a client on a portrait. And so I think I could use that right now. Um, and, and I don't know if it's aerial photography or macro, uh, whatever it is that I, I want to kind of focus on next. But but I, I feel like I'm there right now, Connor. That that I need uh, I need a kind of a new techniques. I mean, mm-hmm. I it's something that I've tried before, but something I can really sink my teeth into. Something that just maybe doesn't appeal to me right now, and that's how I know it, it's a direction I should go in. And I know what you're talking about, Jim. Like <clears throat> I tend to compose shots in such a formulaic way that I feel like I'm making the same photo in a different place every time. There was a perfect example of that this week. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> so I, I post a photo from, uh, this is kind of uh, Northeastern Oregon. And I post this photo and Jim's like, oh, that's great. I put, I took this exact same shot, exact same composition and everything. And sure enough, he posts the photo and we took almost the identical shot. <laughs> and it was only like five days apart. Like exactly. I, sh- I shot that picture on the way back from Oregon. And then I was looking through my my Facebook feed and I saw that picture and I thought, wait a minute, I didn't post this yet. And I was like, hey, that's next picture. Yep. <laughs> but and neither of us had seen each other's stuff, but we shot the same house yep. within, you know, five days of each other. Um, and, and I mean, there were little differences in how we shot it. I, I think yours was better, honestly. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, it, it was like, it was just kind of a gimme. It was just like, it's yep. a cool house. You know, the composition's kind of a, there's really one way to do this and you snap it and you move on. And, and I think some, sometimes that's how I get with landscapes as much as I love landscape photography. I mean, I really love it, but, but I, sometimes I do fall into a rut of just that kind of same recipe for making each landscape. Right. And for me, like when I love landscape photography the most, when it's the most exciting for me is when things are changing. So that's why I like seascape so much is because the waves are coming in and they're doing different, different things with every time they come in and they recede back your shutter speed drastically changes how the shot looks. You know, the sky is never going to look exactly the same twice. If you get a cool sunset with really interesting waves happening, those can be some of the most fun landscape photo excursions just because it's so different and so changing and somebody could be set up right next to you and get a completely different shot because they shot a different wave or they used a different focal length or they used a different shutter speed. Um, I think that's why I am so addicted to uh, seascapes is because it's changing and you can sit there, shoot the exact same composition over and over and over and over just because every single wave is different. 
And that, I, I totally agree. With, I yeah. totally know what you mean. Totally agree with you. That's how I feel about Iceland. Yeah. Uh, and it's not so much the waves there. It's the weather. Yeah. Every hour, there's dramatically different weather and it just keeps things really dynamic and exciting. Yeah. And the same is true with Hawaii. The, the, the <laughs> clouds change so quickly there that, you know, you, you never you can be 10 minutes away from sunset and not know if it's going to really blow up or get choked out. Like it's you constantly got that anxiety excitement because um, it changes so quickly there with small land masses can't come small weather patterns and it'll rain for five minutes and then be sunny five minutes later. And it just changes so quickly. Um, and that's why I love it there. That and it's really yeah. nice. One thing that I actually found really interesting in Hawaii was that you're right. It did change so much, but there were also certain areas, certain like parts of the islands where you could actually tell every single day there was going to be some cloud cover in that area around yep. sunset time. And so like there's a certain degree of predictability to it, but it was still ever changing and every sunset looks a little bit different. And yeah, you're right with them being seascapes, like every wave that comes in and crashes over a rock is different and every time that happens you have a new opportunity and a new chance to get something different which was one of the things that i found so invigorating about this was that i could shoot the same thing and yet have such wildly varying results Mm -hmm. and the same cannot be said for when you're standing in the middle of a field with a rock (laughs) it's just (laughs) it's just not quite as entertaining (laughs) and fulfilling and uh so i know i know your pain jim All right. Well, some interesting news came out this week and it definitely blew up across the photography blogs. Uh, It was the introduction of the Microsoft Surface Studio PC. Um, And I I guess I I wanted to talk about the news of this, but also just take a minute and talk about our editing stations um, Mm -hmm. and the way that you like to set up your editing station and uh, the way it works. So let me go over the news real quick uh, for those that didn't see it. This is a 28 inch desktop uh, from made by Microsoft. It's not just Windows. It's actually made by Microsoft. And it, it's very reminiscent of the iMac. Um, it, I mean, it's the slim profile mouse, slim profile keyboard, extremely slim display, tiny little mount uh, for for it. Um, but this one ups it in terms of uh, features dramatically um, in terms of the iMac. I mean, the hardware is basically the same. You know, it's the latest processor. You can get up to 32 gigs of RAM, etc. blah, blah, blah. You, you know, it, it'll have nice specs in it. Uh, but the interesting thing here is that it has touch. Um, and so it's a 28-inch huge screen. So when you're editing photos, you can literally, you know, pinch them and zoom them and touch them and, you know, move your finger on them and edit that way. Um, and so it, it's really exciting uh, when you watch these videos, it's like, man, that just looks like a, a fun experience, you know, to have a stylus mm-hmm. or your finger. And it also has this puck that you can put on the screen that it looked really gimmicky that brings up this extra <laughs> yes. menu. Of things. Yes. I, I can just picture them in a board meeting like, OK, what else are we going to do? Put a hockey puck on the screen, right? <laughs> and it's actually um, called a puck, too. Yeah, it's called a puck. <laughs> anyway, so so it, it's uh, definitely an interesting thing, but I, I guess I was wondering two things. First, what's your thought on this specific computer? Uh, is this like the end-all, be-all now for the for the editing station for photos? And two, uh, what, what do you like in your editing station, and, and what would you like to change to? For me personally, like, I don't... I, I like the idea of having my 
my screen separate from where I'm going to be drawing and touching and, and stuff simply because like it's for one thing, it's going to get oily. It's going to get dirty. And a lot of touch screens don't work quite as well as you would expect it to. In my opinion, um, I've ne- at least I've never used a really good one. Um, I use a Wacom tablet. I absolutely love using a stylus. Now I could never go back to a mouse. I've, I haven't used my, the battery has been dead in my mouse for like three weeks. I I'm done with it. I don't need it anymore. And I love that style of editing. I'm just not sure that I would like it on a screen because, uh, if you watch the videos, it's, it's upright. And then to use it like a style, like a tablet, you need to bring it down to the lower, lower position and, and then use it down low. And I feel like I would just constantly be like, we're lifting it, lowering it, lifting it, lowering it. Because when I want to type something, I would have to lift it up, type something lower. And I just don't feel like that's a great way to work. Um, because you know, the amount of time you're going to burn going between the two positions seems like it's going to be quite a bit rather than Not just to mention that when you tilt it down, now the lights from the ceiling are going to be reflecting on your screen. Yeah, exactly. Or the angle might be a little different and like things are just going to be wrong. I just don't. And I have a, uh, my laptop is touchscreen and even though it's touchscreen, it's not nearly as intuitive as you would expect it to be. It's not like you can just use your finger in Photoshop and paint things or use your finger in Lightroom and use an adjustment brushes. It's not like that at all. Um, it's very limited in the, in the, some of the things it can do. I'm sure that this is going to be more powerful than that, but I still feel like just having a dedicated, uh, what a tablet of some kind for your stylus dedicated, dedicated screen, dedicated, everything is going to be a faster way to work because you're not going to have to go between two different modes. If that makes sense. Yeah. My, my feelings are actually much in line with yours, Nick. Um, to me, this just seems like a gimmick. I mean, it's it's cool. I think it's a really fun idea. But when you think about like the ergonomics of this, okay, so you're either going to be using your arm, holding it up in the air as you draw on the screen to edit photos, which how long are you going to be able to do that for before your arm just becomes a rock from cramping up so much? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you have to move the screen down and then you're looking down at it and that's not good for your neck. So it's like one way or the other, you're not going to be doing this forever you're probably Mm -hmm. going to use it for a little while and then realize you know what actually my wacom tablet was probably just fine as it was and then it's just going to be a screen that happens to have touch features um i agree with you jim that the puck seems a little bit gimmicky and it's it's interesting it's cool you can kind of select different color tones or whatever it was that they were trying to show off in the commercial and i'm like that's a fun concept but yeah, it's it's a gimmick. It's not anything that I really need in my life right now. Um, so what's your favorite setup for editing, Condor? Connor? Um, so the way that I, I work, I have a desktop that has two monitors. So I have one monitor that is up a, at about eye level from where desktop I am. Desktop on a PC? Um, no, sorry. A desk that I have my laptop on. And I connect a monitor to my laptop. And next to my laptop, I have my Wacom tablet. Um, I'm left-handed, so it's off to the left-hand side. So I can kind of look forward and use my Wacom tablet um, to my side while seeing everything on my screen. Um, that's that's one more thing that I actually don't love about any. It's not just necessarily this new iTouch, whatever desktop it's called. Um, I don't love the fact that whenever you have a screen that you can draw on, your hand is going to be blocking the thing that you are drawing on yeah um, that's a good point i hadn't thought about that 
So like when I have my Wacom, yeah, I, I can rest my hand on it and I don't have to worry about it because all I have is my tiny little cursor that's going over everything. And heck, in Photoshop, most of the cursor things are like little circles where it's really not obstructing my view of the image at all. Um, so that's that's another point that I don't particularly love this for. Um, I'm sure that the specs are going to be great. I'm sure they're going to sell like hotcakes or whatever else you want to say sells really well. Yeah, but why do it, why do we say hotcakes sell so well? <laughs> I really don't that. understand. Because everybody buys hotcakes. <laughs> this is the last time you didn't buy hotcakes. Man, cake. I just wake up in the morning I'm like I'm going to need some hotcakes. <laughs> Man, yeah. just imagine riding on the Pony Express and you get off at a stop and they have hotcakes. You're gonna you're just gonna buy that up. So so quickly. Yeah. Uh, and so are you using PC or Mac? I, I use Mac and truthfully, okay. I'm not super Mac is the best or that PC sucks. I, I think PC is just fine. And for me, it really comes down to specs and what kind of user interface you're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been using Mac for long enough that I don't mind sticking with Mac, but realistically, the last time I bought a computer, I was inches away from buying a PC until I read a few blog posts that said, like, you're not going to do better in a laptop than to just go with a Mac. Um, but I, I I mean, really, I was I went to the store to buy it and they didn't have it. And then I went home and read the blog post and felt better about not buying it and bought a Mac instead. Yeah, for for me, I so when I'm when I'm on the road, I use a 13 inch Mac Air. Um, and, um, it's okay. I, I really like the battery, battery life on the MacBook air. Um, it's not terribly expensive. You can get a MacBook air for $1,100, which, you know, it's at the, not even at the high end. It's kind of a mid range really, uh, for a laptop. There's certainly much more expensive laptops. Um, but, but what I, what I like about it is that, uh, it has great battery life. It's small enough that I can actually lift the lid when I'm on an airplane. Cause I, I, I fly economy. I'm coach guy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, if you get, you know, a 15, 17 inch laptop, you can't really lift the lid, uh, to be doing mm-hmm. anything. And, and when you got a 24 hour, uh, 24 hours of airports and airplanes getting to, to China, you are really going to want a laptop. Uh, so I really like it for those reasons. I don't, however, like the screen at all. Um, it's not a retina screen. I hope that Apple will update that this week. Um, and that may be something that I'd be interested in buying, but it really just fits my needs and it has a, a good battery life. The other thing that I have to have in every computer is an SD card um, slot in it. I really don't like needing to remember to bring a separate SD card adapter for my laptop. It's got to have an SD card reader um, for me. Uh, that's just uh, that's a definite for me that I look for. Mm. And, and when I'm at home, I always edit on on a desktop. I, I definitely prefer a desktop still. I know a lot of people are content just having a, a laptop. But for me, boy, just having that big, bright uh, iMac screen is awesome. I just really like that. Now, why Mac versus PC for me? Uh, one, uh, I spent a lot of money on PCs because they just didn't last as long Uh, a two-year-old pc just felt really old like it was just getting slow and buggy and i was getting errors and a two-year-old mac uh pretty much runs like a brand new mac uh in my experience um and the other thing that i like about the mac is the collaboration tools between them uh, that, you know, when I have a photo on my Mac and I want to put it to the to the phone, you know, that I've edited on Lightroom and I want to move it to my phone for Instagram, 
boop, boop, boop. It makes that little sound when I do it. I just airdrop it to the phone. And when I'm sitting at the computer and uh, I hear a text, I don't have to pull my phone out of my pocket. It just pops up on the computer and I can just type my text back uh, right on the computer. I really like the integration and and uh, and I think they're called continuity features. And so that that's what uh, my setup is and why I've chosen Mac. How about you, Nick? Well, I was going to say, as a PC guy, that sounds pretty futuristic, actually. Like, we don't have anything quite like that. Your computer doesn't go beep, beep, beep. No, no, but definitely doesn't make that sound unless, like, I get the blue screen of death, which happens occasionally. Um, so, PC, and it's, a, it's kind of an older machine. It was something that I bought from a gamer that, like, just, you know specced it out, bought, put, you know, the big liquid cooled video cards and stuff in it. And then he went to college and couldn't take it with him because it was too big. So I've got a PC. It's about three, four years old, but it was specced out at the time. 27 inch monitor. I've got the medium Wacom tablet that I am in love with. And I think you might be convincing me on that, Nick. Man, once you get used to it, you just can't go back to a mouse. A mouse just feels so clumsy and inaccurate. And you can just do so much more with a stylus. Like everybody... Everybody that I really looked up to swore by them. And so I, that was what talked me into doing it. And once I got it, I I can't even imagine using a mouse. In fact, when I, I do have a laptop as well. And when I'm traveling, I take my laptop mostly to back up my photos. So I have two copies of them just in case yeah, I format a card big. or something. And when I go to edit on my laptop, not only is it a frustrating experience, but I I look at it later on when I get home and I'm like, Oh, I shouldn't have posted that. That photo is not ready or that's too dark or that's too contrasty or something. Like I just feel like that screen is not reliable. And so I've swore to myself that I'm not going to edit and post any of those really cool photos that you're really proud of on a trip. Even though you really want to, I wait until I get home on my desktop before I edit those, because those are the ones I really care about and I don't want to post them before they're ready. So like I made a couple mistakes doing that in Iceland. One of my favorite shots I posted from my laptop because I edited it while we were on the road. And then I got home and I was like, Oh man, I should have posted that. I could do so much better on my desktop but it's too late <laughs> to make people had already seen it. And that's just how it has to be now. So. Yeah. You know what, Nick, when one of the first conversations I ever had with you, I told you that you should get a Wacom tablet because yeah. I thought they were so good. And you told me that you didn't think that it was for you. You're like, I've tried it before <laughs> and I'm just a mouse person. So I just want to take this opportunity to say, I told you so. And hey, Jim, <laughs> you should probably try one too, because they yeah. are pretty great. Yeah. I, All right. Well, the funny thing is I'm, I'm in that spot right now because I have tried it before. I bought a Wacom tablet a couple of years ago and I just hated it. Um, but I don't know. You guys are convincing me. Maybe somebody should send a subtle text to Emily and be like, Hey, <laughs> Christmas present for Jim. <laughs> All that that really means is that you didn't live with it long enough. If you, yeah, you, you just force yourself to do it. Exactly. You just, as soon as you get it, you take your mouse, you put it in a drawer in another room and you just force yourself to use that, that stylus and it, it'll be okay. You, you can do everything you need to do with it. There's nothing that you need the mouse for. You just feel like you do. You feel like you're, you know, writing left-handed for a while, but eventually you get used to it and it's just, it ends up being so much faster. I totally, I feel so dumb when I'm using a mouse, just like it's just <laughs> barbaric. Like, I can't use it. <laughs> like I'm scratching on a stone tablet. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> 
but really right. that that that's the thing that I tell everybody that I have ever recommended it to is like just deal with it for a little while because it will get better. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to try it. But next we want to talk about a different peripheral uh, for the computer. And this is one that I wrote in our show notes here. And I got some, uh, some pushback from you guys initially, but I think <laughs> I can defend myself here. Um, I don't think you should calibrate your screen. Stop Ooh, calibrating man. except for one instance. And that's when you're printing, when you're printing a photo, you have to calibrate your screen. Uh, you, I, as as many times as I've tried to guess, and I'm like, okay, I think I can get pretty close here. I just know my screen is too bright, and it's and it's a little bit too green, so I'm going to make the photo a little bit more purple and dark and brighter, and I should be good to go. Um, and and I'll get it to print, and it just it never looks right until you calibrate. So I definitely think there's there's no substitute for a good real calibration with an actual device um, when you're when you're printing, but. When I'm not printing, I either do two things. One, I either turn up the brightness on my screen um, or I just click to a different profile, the standard profile, so that I'm not working on a calibrated screen most of the time. Um, So I guess two reasons that I do this. One, it's really uncomfortable for me uh, to sit at a calibrated screen. It's just too dim. Uh, It's just very uncomfortable. I feel like I'm squinting all the time when I'm working on a calibrated screen. And the second reason is... Uh, you know, 99 out of a hundred shots that I take will only be seen on a screen. Um, and so when I'm printing, I'll calibrate when I'm not printing, I, if I'm working from a calibrated screen and then I share the photo on Facebook, the problem is my screen is too dark and too purple and everybody else is going to see it on a super bright screen. Um, and so I want to work on a screen similar to what most people are using so that it looks right on Facebook, on, on an email, on, on whatever else that I'm doing. So am I crazy? What do you guys think? I think you're partially crazy. (laughs) So, (laughs) so here's what I would say. I would say you have to calibrate for color, but not necessarily for brightness, because like you said, most of the photos that we take are going to be seen on phones, on tablets, on the occasional computer, the occasional laptop. And then it's the rare occasion that we're printing and we can, we can kind of, uh, you know, when it comes time to print, we can darken down our monitor, look at it, how it's actually going to print and and do that. So when I calibrate, I calibrate for the color, but I skip the whole brightness section. I just say, you know what? I'm not going to deal with the brightness part of it because brightness is really whatever you're used to. When, if you use the same monitor for long enough, you get used to it. And you know how a photo is supposed to look on your on your desktop and, you know, you kind of know how it's going to look on everybody's phone. So I guess I keep my brightness a little brighter than I would if I was going to be printing. And I always kind of double check when I post something to the to Facebook or whatever. I check on a phone and I kind of make sure that it's all looking kosher and looking how I expected it to look. Um, But I always stay calibrated for color because Um, eventually your monitor is going to start to fail. It's going to kind of drift color wise. Like, you know, those green pixels aren't really holding their, (laughs) they're not packing their weight anymore and it's going to drift a little bit and calibration just kind of makes up for that a little bit. Um, because that's a good point. That's a good point about drifting. I hadn't considered that. Right. And so that's, that's my, my point of view. I totally agree with the brightness thing. Everybody is going to be viewing your photos with a phone. So you need to be keeping that in mind. 
or just using your monitor long enough to where you get used to the brightness and you know how it's going to look when somebody looks at it on the web. Yep. That's pretty much exactly the way I feel. That is the best reply ever, Connor. That's why I like you. He just says, I'm yeah. Connor Hibbs and I approve this message. Yes, exactly. Precisely. Okay. No, it I, sounds like we really have, uh, you know, slightly different approaches to this, but it sounds like we're all really doing the same thing, which makes me feel better because I see people all the time saying, you know, you have to work on a calibrated screen. And I just think like, it's it seems like it's going to cause more harm than good if you're just sharing the photos online well make no bones about it like if you if you posted this to youtube there would be a million comments explaining how you're wrong but since this one's not going to youtube we're going to be okay (laughs) there's not nearly (laughs) as many trolls uh that's where they all go is youtube but as long as you're calibrating for color I don't think the the brightness part of it uh, should be something that you're calibrating for. It's more about just being used to your monitor. If your monitor is different every time you look at it, you're going to come away with wildly different results. So you're better off just like getting used to your monitor, knowing how a photo is supposed to look on your monitor, and you'll end up with much more consistent results when you go to export, I think. Well, you made, a, you made a good so. point about the, the drift. The, the other problem with color, though, is when you calibrate, your screen will look purple. It, it just always looks you know, while, magenta. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you try to get used to it, but still, when I look at a calibrated screen, it just looks magenta to me. Um, and most people's screens aren't that way. And so even if you're calibrating color, it does help with the drift, but it's still now your photos are going to look too green because you've edited on a magenta screen. Uh, so I guess there, there's no perfect because every every screen is different. But I guess hopefully by at least bringing up the subject, we can uh, give you some things to consider and just just so that everybody can can recognize the problems that are there. And then you can kind of figure out whatever your system is to, to work around it. Man, you guys just both keep taking the wind out of my sails on this one. <laughs> the, I, I was going to say, again. you know, no two screens are the same. The thing, my feelings on this is I'm like, yeah, you are kind of right that oftentimes the color will tend to move a little bit more towards the green on uncalibrated monitors. But the way that I compensate for this in my mind is to just say, you know, I know my color's right, so they're wrong and I'm right. And hopefully it doesn't look horrible on their screen. Exactly. You can just be like, well, it just so happens that I really like magenta. So we're good. You know, I'll just add a little (laughs) extra. looks a little magenta on mine, but that's okay because I really like magenta. The other yeah, power play, go. though, is and if anybody, you know, trashes your photo online, you can just like say, whoa, this is way oversaturated. You can just always come comment back and say, are you working on a calibrated screen? And you're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, yeah, it's your screen. Or just say power play if you're calibrated. <laughs> what kind of monitor do you have? Maybe you should print that out and see that I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, we have lots of things we want to talk about in this episode. We've been taking too much time talking about these <laughs> topics, but they've been, I've been interested to hear all the things you guys want to talk about. Uh, but before we move on, I want to take a second and thank, and thank two companies that have made uh, this podcast possible. Uh, Improved Photography is brought to you by Blurb. Blurb is a bookmaking platform that allows you to create, publish, share, and sell your own professional quality books from your computer, tablet, or phone. Um, Connor, I know you just ordered a, a book from Blurb. What, what is it that you're printing? Um, I printed a wedding album for Ooh, my awesome. wedding because I this is the company that I use to supply most of my 
less expensive albums um, to my clients, and they really have some fantastic quality. Um, I particularly love using their um, Proline Pearl Upgrade. Um, it's just a nice pearly, pearlescent paper um, that really brings out the depth and saturation of colors in the print, and I, I just love it. That's cool. Yeah, I, I've used Blurb quite a few times. Um, and I like that it's really quick <laughs> um, to, yeah. be, to be able to put it to make books. Sometimes I've, I've printed books and it's like a whole day affair mm-hmm. to get the layouts done. It's like, oh man, this is just way too big of a project. project. And Blurb has just really beautiful templates. You can drag and drop your photos and you're set to go uh, quickly. And the price is definitely right. And I agree with you that the quality, especially for the price you're paying, is pretty exceptional and i mean even for a professional photographer this is an excellent service to use uh something i've been very happy with in the past and something that's really nice about that that isn't often talked about is that lightroom actually has a book module and in that book module you can make books and send them directly to blurb Ooh, that's cool i did not realize that yeah they they have some kind of pre-made templates and and whatnot but yeah you can do it straight from lightroom and just export from lightroom and it just uploads to blurb you press buy and it's bought and on its way that's that's cool visit blurb.com slash improve and enter offer code improve to get 25 percent off your own blurb photo book that's blurb.com slash improve and use code improve at checkout to get 25 percent off make a book and leave your mark and also by fracture um i just got another fracture that i ordered for a neighbor of mine uh who who took uh his daughter on a on a you know once in a lifetime kind of trip um and he was showing me some of the photos and i said you know what you should make a make a you really unique kind of memorable print of this uh to give your give to your daughter as a gift and he did um and it what i like about fracture is that it's just something different i mean you know when you when you print just a bunch of eight by tens and you get them they're just uh, just so lifeless just to have just a regular print this uh, really takes whatever photo you're making and just makes it unique and interesting something that people go up and, and really take notice of because it's different your photo is printed directly on a sheet of glass and they have all different sizes um, that you can order from fracture and the prices are very reasonable for for what you're getting um, so fractures have been a service that I have have really liked. Um, they uh, sent me a fracture last year to to try out for the first time, and I've been uh, using them since then. Uh, so definitely something to uh, to check out. Fractures also come with a sixty day happiness guarantee, so you can make sure you love your order. Um, and they're made right here in the United States in Gainesville, Florida. Uh, for more information and to get ten percent off your order, vi- visit FractureMe.com/podcast. That's FractureMe.com/podcast, and be sure to mention Improved Photography in the one question survey to help support the show. And we thank them for their support. All right, well, Nick, you have been uh, shooting a ton of sports, as you mentioned <clears> earlier, <throat> and you are moving up in the world to getting to shoot yes. some NFL games. Tell me about it. Yeah, so this coming Sunday, 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 Sunday I'm going Sunday. to be, <laughs> I'm going to get to shoot my second NFL game. I'm going to be flying to New Orleans and shooting the Seahawks versus the Saints. It's extra exciting for me because obviously I'm from Washington State. Seahawks, kind of a big deal up here, and really looking forward to it. Um, 
And also, this is going to be the first game that I am 100% responsible for getting myself into. Last time, Brian, <laughs> I was totally riding on Brian's coat hills, like uh, coat, coat, uh, what is that? Coattails? Coattails? coattails. Yes, coattails. Coat laces, whatever. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I, I was totally got in because of him. And uh, <laughs> this year, I got in because of me. And that feels really good. So how'd you do it? Uh, well, basically the, the same coach that I met last time and did family photos for last time, I'm, I'm now acquaintances with them. And I got a hold of the coach's wife and I was like, Hey, you know, I'd love to come down and shoot a saints game. Do you guys need any family photos? And she was like, well, as a matter of fact, we do, we just, we have just had a little one and we want to do some photos. And, and so they basically put a bug in the ear of the head media guy there. And after like two months of waiting for him to get back to me, he got a hold of me. I want to say it was, was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. And it was like, Oh, can you shoot the game on Sunday? And I'm like, uh, sure. Okay. <laughs> and so I went and bought some of the most expensive plane tickets in the world and expensive <laughs> hotels. And so I'm having to earn this one for sure. Because man, last minute, plane flights are just not cheap at all. So uh, it's going to cost me a little bit, but I'm excited about it. Um, I've also been shooting a little bit of college football this last week. I got to shoot a college game, Eastern Oregon university versus Western Montana and uh, shooting college sports and NFL sports is just so nice because for one, um, the, the fields are better. So you end up with better backgrounds and you end up with better lighting and lower ISOs. And as a result, you just get better photos in general. And uh, this college game was cool because it was actually a it was a day game outside. And so rather than having to rely on one of my F 2.8 lenses, I busted out the 150 to 600 Sigma that I have. And shooting a football game with 600 millimeters is a whole lot of fun uh, because you can pretty much shoot the full length of the field and still get a uh, cool shot. So that's cool. Um, but going to this NFL game, it's going to be inside a dome. So I'm going to need my F 2.8 lenses. And so lens wise, I'm taking my Sigma 120 to 300 F 2.8, which is a killer lens. I love that lens being able to zoom from 120 to 300, like start at 120 millimeters, figure out where the play is going, then zoom in to 300 and get the shot. It's really cool. Plus it gives me the option when I have enough light to use teleconverters. So I'm I'm going to be taking a 1.4 teleconverter as well. And I'll be taking a second camera body, most likely with a wide angle 16 to 35 on it for those times when either players get really close to me, like after a touchdown or they're about to run over me on the sidelines and I can get that wide angle shot of them like looming over me because those wide angle shots are some of the coolest you get in sports. And uh, so I'll have that kind of on my hip. I'm really, really looking forward to it for sure. That's awesome. We'll be, Hey, uh, I saw at a, I went to the Boise state game seven and oh, by the way, uh, nice. this last week. And I saw one of the photographers had taped up his big lens with pink tape so that like everybody could see his lens. You should, <laughs> should do that. that. And then we'll get that. all the improved photography listeners to exactly. watch for the pink lens. Exactly. Well, I, so if I you guys, watch the game. if you guys want to keep an eye out for me, it's going to be on Fox. I believe it's the morning game. So Seahawks versus saints. It's going to be on Fox. I want to say it's 10 o'clock Pacific. <gasps> 1 PM. Nick, Eastern. I've got it. 
What? Dye your beard pink. <laughs> You've got to dye your beard pink. Uh, it would be epic. It would be. It'd be Maybe so I, cool. I'll tell you what. Nick, I'll get please, a, I'll become please, a meme. Please, we'll watch for you. I'll tell you what. I will either buy one of two things. I'll either buy like a day glow orange hat, like a hunter's hat, and I'll wear that. Or I'll buy a bright pink hat and I'll wear that because I always wear hats. So that's how you guys will notice me is look for the, either the orange hat and the beard sticking out from under it or the pink one. Pink beard. We got a pink deal. Beard. <laughs> pink beard. Pink You're not going to be able to see the beard. It's going to be hidden behind a camera anyway. Are oh, you, you don't think that, you don't think they're going to zoom awesome. up on the guy with the pink beard? Yeah. You're going to be on TV. You'll be famous. You know, there's going to be that moment where like I get ran over. By a player, and they're gonna keep showing it in slow mo. Where I'm and just the like, pink beard just fluffs in the wind. <laughs> oh, there's there's nothing more graceful than getting ran over in slow motion, and all the faces I'll make. It'll be great. All right. Well, in every episode now, we want to um, teach you a new skill that you can learn in 12 minutes. Kind of a tutorial on a different. Uh, topic and this week we want to talk about photographing lightning um, mm-hmm. this is something i did this week so i flew from my home and in, in meridian idaho uh, down to arizona for two reasons one we have the lightroom steel coming up um, on black friday end of november this will be the fourth year of the lightroom steel and it's always a very big deal around the community around the improved photography community we uh really bend over backwards i work on it for months to get it just right to make sure uh that everybody gets huge value for something really inexpensive uh for the for the lightroom presets and and also tutorial videos so this year i'm doing a a major tutorial on composition so i flew down to arizona to one check out the area for the retreat and find some locations that we can do shoots during the the conference in march uh, which you can find the details out at improvephotographyretreat.com. Um, and then the second reason is to uh, film tutorials for the for that uh, for that upcoming video. So uh, I went to Sedona, Arizona, and I I got there late. I stopped at the Tempe camera um, in, in well, I guess Tempe, but Phoenix. Um, and I got distracted by by shiny objects there, and so I didn't get into Sedona until late. I missed sunset. Um, I just got into my hotel. It was like 11 o'clock at night. I I mean, it was like literally I just closed my eyes. Uh, I was exhausted and I hear outside and I thought, oh, no, I've got to go shoot now. <laughs> I heard the thunder outside and I thought, oh, man. So I put my shoes back on, got back in the car and I started driving. Unfortunately, I had not um scouted out the area at all and so i had to just you know do my best on google earth and try to find kind of an area that that would work for it and i ended up finding a a pretty cool location uh but photographing lightning was harder than i thought it was have you guys done this oh yes absolutely i know you guys have yeah i i watch my weather apps very closely like lightning photography is so much fun because it's it's got that excite it's got that excitement uh you know, part of it where, you know, you don't know if you're going to die, but it's going to be fun until you do, <laughs> you know, it's so uh-huh. excited. Yeah. So a couple things that I learned is first, I, I want, I guess we can do kind of a little poll here. What do you mm-hmm. do about your camera settings? The, the way that I found best was to shoot in bulb mode 
um, at about F16 because it the lightning is a lot brighter than you think it's going to be. And my first shots, I went with typical night photography settings and it was just like a white picture. <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah. I went to F16 um, and then, you know, my shutter, of course, on bulb. And then my ISO I left around, you know, 320, pretty low, but, but at mm-hmm. least getting something out there. So that's at least what I did. How, how do you guys set up for it? typically like I'm not quite stopping down quite that far. Typically I'm like F eight or so, because like you said, some of those lightning strikes, especially when they're close to you, it is really, really bright. And if you blow out the entire sky, (laughs) you know, you're not going to get that back, but it's okay to like blow out the highlights in the lightning bolt itself. So you're, it's kind of a balancing act between trying to get as bright a shot as you can with some, you know, stuff going on in the shadows but still, but not blowing out your highlights entirely. So typically I'm like F eight ISO 200, something like that. And like you, Jim, I use bulb mode a lot and I'll use a, a, a wireless remote release and just, uh, I'll hold it in. And when a, a bolt goes off, I'll stop my exposure because if you get two, if you're exposing for one bolt, and you accidentally get two, is it's just going to ruin your photo because it's going to be overexposed. So, right. So you're just holding the bulb until there's a flash, and then you just let go. Exactly. Yep. And the the new toy that I've got that I didn't even get a chance to use this year is I got it's the brand is Lightning Trigger. It's not the Lightning Clever Trigger name. Yes, I don't know how they came up with that, <laughs> but it shows up in all search results. But uh, I had the Nero trigger before that, and it just flat didn't work. But but uh, Mark Metternich, uh, we had him on tripod. He swears by lightning trigger. He says it's so a great it's device. popping the picture when it sees the flash of light. Is that right? Exactly. Yep. And as soon as it sees the light begin to go, it, it fires it within, I don't know, it's like 25 milliseconds or something like that. So you miss just the tiniest first bit of it. But most lightning strikes do last for a while because they kind of, you know, grow in stages. So it's okay to miss a little bit of it. And it's really nice for those daytime shots, which are the hardest. Like, you know, the ultimate lightning shot is always going to be that like lightning bolt at sunset where you're getting a rainbow and lightning bolt. And it's really hard to get that because you're dealing with shorter shutter speeds. You can't just leave it open for 10 seconds or whatever, because you'll end up with an over and exposed photo. So you need some kind of sensor or a little bit of luck or, or both in order to get that daytime lightning bolt. So that's the whole reason I got mine is because I'm always chasing that elusive, like sunset, sunset colors with lightning bolt shot. That's like, Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. When I've tried to do that before during the day, what I did is I just set the shutter speed to as long as I could get away with, you know, stop down my aperture a lot, maybe even use a neutral density filter so you can get as long of a shutter speed as possible. Because the longer the shutter speed, the better chance you're going to get that lightning bolt in there. And then I just set it to, uh, to like shoot a time lapse, like interval timer. So it's just Mm -hmm. click, 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 click. And then one out of every hundred photos, sometimes you get lucky, but that sounds a lot, mm, a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly the way that I've done it because I mean, I don't love shooting lightning enough that I would spend money on a trigger, fancy lightning trigger thing. (laughs) But I mean, it's fancy. He's He's a fancy guy. Well, and and I I think that he has good reason to do it. He does a lot of landscape stuff. For me, it's more like, oh, a storm's happening right now. Um, 
I'm not going to get any kind of interesting composition, but I just want to get some lightning bolts because that's fun and you don't know when you might need that for some compositing or something. Right. So yeah, I just kind of do the intervalometer thing where I will set it up so I get the longest exposure that I possibly can with just barely underexposed ambient light so that when the lightning bolt actually happens, it brightens everything up to about where I'm hoping it will be, at least to a recoverable point. Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right. So the next thing that that uh, I learned as I was doing this is um, I tend to shoot for the composite. I, a lot of my landscapes are composited multiple photos together. We've talked about this lots of times. It's just how I like to, to shoot. It's just kind of part of my creative process. Um, and I've learned that that's not such a great idea with lightning. Um, <laughs> it was a lot harder to put multiple photos together from lightning than I had expected if you're also getting clouds in the shot because the clouds are typically moving very quickly um, during a storm. They're usually lower lying clouds when we're talking about rain clouds. And so you get a bolt and then 45 seconds, a minute later, you get another bolt. The clouds have moved dramatically and each and the lightning will light up the clouds all around it. And so I actually had a pretty hard time putting multiple lightning bolts into the same picture from a, from a composite. Um, and so I, I guess just a little bit of a lesson learned next time I do it, I'm going to uh, shy away more from the composite and try to get more things in camera. Cause that was, that was harder to do than I, yeah. than I had imagined. And the next thing is the white balance is going to be insane when you're <laughs> shooting uh, lightning because you know, the lightning itself, you know, it's probably a pretty neutral white, white light, but, um, you're, that's not what your camera is getting the, uh, the white balance from when you start the picture, you know, it's going to have a little yellow light of a street light far in the distance or trying to guess at night that the white balance at night is always terrible because there's just not much light for the camera to even meter from. Um, and so this is a situation that I think it's probably worth <laughs> it to set your white balance, yeah. uh, because the white balances were just wild between shots, you know, super blue, super purple. Uh, it just never got it quite right. And it was a pain to edit that together. Yeah. Typically it seems like purple is kind of the color of lightning. And I don't know if that's actually the way it is or if it's just the way the camera's picking it up. But if you set, even if you set your camera up to, you know, daylight white balance, typically the lightning is going to end up purple. And I guess that's, it's just purple. So, <laughs> so I, I kind of like it that way. Um, I've seen some, a lot of cool shots where they've kind of neutralized that color tone. But if you have street lamps and stuff, um, in the shot, those are going to end up like really super green and yucky. If you just do that globally, then you get into like trying to, you know, change your color locally and not, not changing the color of your street lamps and stuff. So that can be a challenge. So Jim, um, when you're trying to put these multiple photos together, are you just using them on like a normal blend mode or were you trying to use a light and the lightning was just like so bright that it lit up the clouds as well? Well, I tried to do it two different ways. When I when I tried to mask them together in Photoshop, my first thought was, this is going to be easy, you know, just use a blend mode um, yeah. and just set it to lighten. The problem was it was it made it like super awkward, the transition between yep. the lit up clouds on one photo and the, the lit up clouds on the next. And it just looked uh. crazy. Uh, you know, if, if you aren't getting the, the clouds around the lightning, this is probably super easy, you know, or for you just have a sheet of clouds over overhead. Uh, this is easy. Just yeah. set the blend mode to lighten and this is a piece of cake. But when there are those clouds getting lit up all around the lightning, 
oh man, it was, I literally spent like two hours trying to figure out, I was like, come on, how am I going to do this? It was, it was a lot harder than I had expected. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, the, that's the, unfortunate. The last tip that I wanted to share, um, that I learned shooting, uh, lightning this week was, um, that is to get your timing right. Often, you know, the best lightning strikes are when the storm is right on you. Uh, but when it's pouring rain, you can't really get a shot. I mean, I mean, your visibility is going to be really low. Um, and so you aren't going to be able to see much around you. Um, and you know, your camera is going to get absolutely soaked. And so what I found was, you know, I was driving like a madman to get out, out to a location during the rain night and it was pouring rain. And I thought, oh man, I'm missing it right now. But then when I got there, I still had to wait 15 minutes for the storm to pass me. And as the rain was passing and I could start to see lightning in the distance, that was the time to shoot. So yeah. I guess just lesson learned. And I think that's just a great tip in general, even if you're not photographing lightning. If you're photographing storms, if you're outside of the storm looking at it, you get to see the entire shape and structure of the clouds. And sometimes you can even see like, you know, clear skies up above it and get like, you know, stars and lightning in the same shot, which I've done before. It's um, it, it's it's always a good thing to be shooting from the outside of the storm looking at it. And that you'll have a better idea of how best to do that. If you have one of those radar maps that we've been talking about, you can kind of plan your route. You can see which, where it's going and then plan which roads you're going to drive on to be parallel with it. And if it's a daytime, uh, a daytime storm, you always want to be between the sun and the storm because that's how you get rainbows. And if you can get, you know, really cool clouds and rainbows. That's always going to be a cool shot. So staying between the sun and the storm, always a good thing as well. Yeah. I I wanted to ask you something about the radar. Maybe, maybe I need to ask a meteorologist, but I guess I I just wanted to know if your experience has been the same. Have you seen like multiple uh, occasions where you walk outside, the app shows no clouds in the sky and there are clouds everywhere? Yes, but I think typically when that's happening, it's because the the particular radar map that you're looking at is looking at precipitation. So uh, in my experience, like if, if you're seeing, you know, the yellow and the red and stuff, that's just where rain is falling. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's not cloud cover there. So you have to like change your layers and go to um, that one of the layers will be cloud cover. And then you look at that and then I'll give you like these little translucent clouds and then you can kind of see where the edge of the blanket of clouds are and stuff. But typically um, by default, most radars are showing precipitation more so than cloud cover. Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah, I have two different layers. I have one layer for clouds and one for precipitation and I did have it on clouds, but it's happened a couple times to me that there are a lot of clouds out and it shows nothing. I've never had the opposite. I've never had clear skies, you know, and it's showing that there are, are clouds, right. but yesterday there was a time I almost stayed in the hotel and, and skipped sunset because I, I checked the radar on three different apps and all of them said no clouds. Huh. And then I walked out of my hotel room and boom, it was everywhere. And I thought, That's odd. okay, forget you. So I, I guess, I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure why that happened, but <laughs> all right. Well, in every episode, we like to share a doodad of the week. I am going to audible my doodad. I'm going to skip my photography item and I'm going to share something different with you. I'm going to throw down the gauntlet right now with you guys. Improved photography retreat, March, 2017. I propose Jim versus Connor versus Nick. Oh, we have this a competition for a photo. Loser 
has to either dye their hair or their beard pink. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wait, wait, I got to know what the, what we're doing though. Like, I don't know. I don't even know. Maybe we we could ask the ask the if it's the photography related. I'm in. No, it's got to be it, photography. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is not if, like arm wrestling or something. It's not going to be like some kind of marathon run or something. I'm all right. I'm in. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> oh man, I'll do it. Connor, yeah. I'm, do I you mean, sign on to this? You got to dye your hair pink the next day. The next day oh, you show up man. to the conference, pink hair. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm, Maybe I'm we should yeah, have a neutral third party administer this challenge. Like we I was can just say, nominate I, somebody going to the conference to totally decide like what the competition is, what the rules are. And we just ooh, show up. Ouch. But my, my one point here is that we have to pick something that all of us are around the same level of competency, because if it's a landscape competition, my hair is going to be pink the next day without a doubt. Okay. You that's guys are fair great enough. That. That's all fair right. enough. It can't be I something propose, that, that one of us has a clear disadvantage at. Okay. I propose, but if we I propose that, sports photography. Sports photography, I think, is what we should do. <laughs> I I don't watch sports, so um, you win on that one, Nick. Okay, also- but I need a firm commitment. Connor, are you yes. in? No, I'm I'm 100% in. Okay. Nick, are you in? I'm in. I'm in. Let's do it. All right. This is great. All right. That, so my doodad of the week is pink hairspray. Nice. Very nice. Awesome. What do you have for us, Connor? Um, so my dude out of the week is called the lost luggage ice nine portfolio. Um, this is a print portfolio that I've had my eye on for a long time. It's just a really high quality portfolio, um, that has an acetate cover and it's like a screw post. So as you build with more photos, you can just always have a new print made and just unscrew your screw post and put that in to the spot that you want. So, Wait, it's, so this it's is like nice. a binder. Yeah. Yeah. It's essentially like a binder. Um, but it's, it's not at the same time. Like it's, it's a very nice looking book. It's kind of hard to explain. Um, but it has a nice metal edge to it that has a hinge on it. And then it's a clear, like frosted clear. Um, I'm trying to think of the word perspex or plexiglass. Yeah. Um, like acrylic, cover that you can kind of see the first photo in there. It's just a really nice presentation portfolio that I've had my eye on for a long time. Um, they run about $80, which is not cheap. Um, but I happened to find somebody that was selling three of the exact one that I wanted for $90 for all three of them. Um, so I have bought them and man, these things are awesome looking. So if you're looking to put together a print portfolio, I recommend the Lost Luggage Ice Nine portfolio. That's that's a really that's a great doodad. I think Connor, you know, when you're meeting up with a client at a Starbucks or something, and you want to talk about the wedding, boy, I I just I think you having a portfolio there is really important just for yeah. sales. I mean, they've obviously seen your photos online, but you know when yeah. you're you know now we're talking about money. You know now we're sitting it down and we're like, I need a retainer check. You know, and it's like having the photos in their hands again in a high quality presentation. Uh, I, I think could definitely pay for itself. So that's that's pretty cool. And also, if you're going to the Improved Photography Retreat, you'll have an opportunity to get a free portfolio review there. So this would be an awesome way to show it off. Very cool. Sure. Absolutely. Well, what's with the crazy name for this thing? Lost Luggage Ice Nine Portfolio. What? So Lost Luggage <laughs> is the company, and then they have just a few different types of portfolios. And the Ice Nine is the the line that I liked, and. I mean, you can get any number of 
portfolio covers to it. A lot of them are that acrylic, but I think that they have some wood and a few other things as well. And all of them look pretty nice. Um, I, I just happen to really like that. You can kind of see the image through the cover of the frosted acrylic. Nice. Very cool. Also, if you were in need of a good rapper name, I'm pretty sure that ice nine fits the bill. That is like the best rapper name name ever. That is pretty cool. Ice nine. Absolutely. Exactly. Okay. So mine this week is another L bracket. Um, I had to get one for my five D mark four. There are none out on the market really well. There might be now, but when I bought this, there wasn't any for the five D mark four yet. And so I bought one for the five D mark three and the bodies are so similar. It fits perfectly. So if you're in the market for a L bracket for a 5D Mark IV, you can get the Leo Photo L bracket. It's the and it's for the 5D Mark III. Uh, How much does that sell you back? Uh, what? Let's see. Let's see. Let's look. It was uh, oh, it says oh. Well, I'll have to I, I guess the, the reason that I'm <laughs> the reason I'm asking is they they always have L brackets, you know, for thirty dollars and for a hundred twenty right. bucks, and I'm curious which one so you're going the, for. This one is uh, runs about fifty nine bucks, so it's in okay, the middle. Kind of in the middle there, it, yeah. right? And last time I went with Sunway Photo, and it was always good. It maybe didn't fit quite as snug as I wanted. I always kind of had the temptation to put some kind of shim in there to make it fit just a little bit tighter. Because uh, it always felt like the screw, or at least there towards the end of using the 5D Mark III, it felt like the screw kind of bottomed out just a quarter turn too soon. Um, but this one fits tighter. It's it's very, very solid on there. I can't grab it and twist it like I could the Sunway Photo. And it was about the same price. And build quality is absolutely identical. I held them next to each other. They look absolutely identical. Um, I can get to all the ports on the 5D Mark IV just fine. And really the only port that I ever have to get to is my um, my shutter release uh, port. And it's in the front now, so it doesn't even matter. So this is Leo Photo. There'll be a link in the show notes. It fits really well on the 5D Mark IV. Cool. I, I'm going to take just a second and for the uninitiated explain an L bracket. And the reason is this. Every time we do meetups and and shoot with uh, listeners of improved photography, uh, we see like the same tripod, same camera bags because uh, people are, you know, listening to to the recommendations mm-hmm. and the things that we try, which is really cool. I love that. Um, but I rarely see listeners who are shooting with L brackets. And I think the reason is that um, maybe it's just hard to understand what it is um, yep. until you just actually see one. It's really a pretty simple device. It's just a piece of metal that goes, you know, where your quick release plate is that you attach to the to a ball head or to a tripod. Um, instead of just that little plate, it's a long plate that goes the length of the bottom of your camera and then turns 90 degrees up the side of the camera. And then when you want to go to a portrait orientation on your photo, you just release the quick release uh, or the, you know, the switch on your ball head to release the camera. And then you just flip it on its side and use the side of that metal plate to hook on, on there. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's just really handy. makes makes attaching the tripod, first of all, faster and much easier, but also m- makes it a lot easier to go into uh, into vertical orientation. I would consider this absolutely essential gear if you're shooting on a tripod you know if you're doing macro or landscapes or product whatever any kind of photography that you're commonly on a tripod essential gear and it's super inexpensive you can get them for 35 bucks or whatever and i've had pretty good luck i i had one uh inexpensive one that was junk uh but 
I, I usually just buy the cheap ones and they work just great. Yep. The thing that you're going to want to pay attention to is whether it's made for your camera. Yeah, because don't get a universal. Exactly. If they see a universal, all that means is that it's not molded to fit your camera. And if it's not molded to fit your camera, it's your camera is going to swivel on it and the ports won't line up and you won't be able to access the stuff on the side of your camera. So you want to get the ones that are actually molded for your camera. That way they fit like a glove. They they're really um, they fit nice and tight that way when you are in vertical orientation, your camera doesn't just slowly swivel and sag and get all sad and point down. And there's so much, so many benefits to having an L bracket. I, I totally agree. It's like the most affordable, most useful thing you can buy as a landscape photographer for your camera. It's the awesome accessory. I'm Jim Harmer and I approve this message. <laughs> all right. Um, and now for the do random of the week, who, who has that? That is me. Um, so I have Scotch reclosable fasteners. Um, this is kind of photography related, but kind of not. Um, I was looking for a strip of Velcro that I could put on the back of an external hard drive since my hard drive fills up so quickly. Um, and I just wanted to have something that I could kind of fasten on to the back of my laptop monitor. And in doing some research, a lot of people recommended this thing that's not quite Velcro. Um, instead of being like the... <laughs> sound it just snaps into place because it's uh, like a bunch of plastic barbs so it's nothing scratchy i don't know how to describe it because it's something that i have never seen before um but it's the scotch reclosable fasteners and it's a much sturdier hold than even velcro and here i'm gonna just take a second and i'm gonna snap it on and see if you can hear this real quiet and then just pops off I don't know that that sounded quiet. That sounded like violent. The first one was quiet. And then I, I kind of almost dropped my drive as I pulled it off. But it, it just snaps into place instead of being like the long, loud sound. And you don't have to pull in the same way. The whole thing snaps off all in one. So you don't have any little bits that are clinging together. Um, point is, it's a really strong fastener that can be useful for a lot of things. I mean, especially if you have... I mean, a pocket on a bag or something that isn't quite secure. You can get this stuff and just fasten it shut nice. really easily. Actually, that's yeah. cool. The use I was thinking is to uh, attach a, a battery pack to a flash or a, even a gel or whatever, attaching mm-hmm. things to a flash. That'd be handy. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. It would work very well for that. And and speaking of barbs, to end the show, I am in uh, Saguaro National Park right now in Arizona, and I have cactus spines all over my leg i am in pain and i need to go to walgreens and go get some tweezers and some kind of medication so it has been great talking to you guys uh i'm gonna go uh take care of my wounds here uh from my landscape photography i really appreciate you guys time and uh everything you share on the podcast uh be sure to check out improvephotographyretreat.com if you too want to come down to arizona next year and uh get a leg full of cactus and shoot some <laughs> Uh, landscapes and portraits and and here's some of the things we're learning in photography that's at improvephotographyretreat.com uh, i didn't check a, a final count of how many tickets are left but it's really getting down to the wire not many left so be sure to check that out if you want to come join us see you guys